0: You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Colorado Rockies podcast for and by Rockies fans on Rocky Mountain Rooftop. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Hello and welcome to Affected by Altitude, a Colorado Rockies podcast on Rocky Mountain Rooftop, part of the Fans First Sports Network. I'm your host, Evan Lang, and today I am joined by Kenneth Weber. What's up? And Mario Delgado. What's good, people? And, guys, it's been a weird weekend. Uh, the Rockies have officially kicked off the season uh, with their starting series against the San Diego Padres out in San Diego. And somehow, the Rockies are 2-1 and one and in first place in the National League West. Enjoy it. Well, alas, I guess. <laughs>
1: I mean, but it, it was a very inspired first two games. Like it, it, it wasn't a cheapy or San Diego coming out and being kind of you know crappy. Rockies played pretty well, at least for those first two games. So there's some legitimacy behind it, even though it is kind of you know in the infant stages of the season.
2: Yeah, uh, let's not talk about that third game though. <laughs> that that was classic uh, road Rockies right there. And that was what? that was just about the, the most textbook a road Rockies game I think I've ever seen. In my life. I,
0: I feel like it wasn't as bad as the Road Rockies last year. Um, especially after the first two games, you were down da- you were bound to come down a little bit. Because in that first game, uh a seven two victory against the Padres, the Rockies had 17 hits, which is more than they had in any single road game all season last year, by like a lot. And the seven runs are also more than we tended to score on the road a lot. But it also made no sense because the Rocky struck out 17 times in that game and committed three errors, two of which were catcher interference by Elias Diaz. And yet we still won pretty handily.
2: That was I'm trying yeah. to calculate the BABIP. Go ahead, Ken. I'm trying to calculate <laughs> well, the BABIP.
0: I, I just want to give a shout out to
1: Joelle because she uh, did a terrific job on her piece on Friday of describing that where like that, that was the first time that that had happened since 1901 and it's that weird that it only happens once every 122 years. That was a good way of describing that, the 17 strikeouts and
0: 17 hits in a game. Yeah, she did a great job with that, especially when it's like when it's the first time that that happens in the modern era and you win. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And that's on opening a, day, Just that's a add, that's add, a add, memorable add, opening. opening
2: day. Yeah, and on opening day for the pot, you know, against the Padres, this super high team, you know all ready to celebrate, <laughs> no, dumped on their parade. That's always cool.
0: Yeah, that was nice. Cool I enjoyed do. the. Uh, oh, it's the Padres super team with the third highest, uh, third highest payroll in all of baseball. Look out! Here come the Rockies.
1: <laughs> yeah, there
0: was old, that
2: and...
1: meme with Dinger.
2: Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
0: There's some good rain on
1: that parade. There were a lot of strikeouts on opening day, though, too. I think Snell was one of three guys to carry like eight Ks into the fourth inning or something weird like that. I so. watched
2: the Logan Webb and Gary
1: Cole game, and they both yeah. K'd like 13. Cold, like, mowed through that Giants lineup, especially. Um, but yeah, I just strikeouts were kind of up for a first game. I think that that plays a bit of a part in it. But anytime you strike out 17 times in a game, you can't feel good about that. Like, yeah, it's a win. You got 17 hits, you got seven runs. You're not going to win many games by striking out 17 times in a game. I think that's no, pretty safe.
0: A- to say absolutely that. not. The, but, but honestly, what really was the reason that we won that first game was oddly enough the old man squad and and you can say the same for uh game two as well where the old man squad of cj crone charlie blackman and chris bryant have really carried the rockies offense so far and the most surprising one has got to be cj crone because cj crone didn't have a great spring training. Uh, he missed time due to his back uh, being an issue. And all of a sudden, he shows up in these first three games, and he's tearing the cover off the ball. He has uh, CJ Crone in 11 at-bats, has seven hits, five of them for extra bases with seven runs batted in, and three home runs, including two on opening night. Like I don't think and and we there was some uh, chat in the in the comments of the the game thread and things like that of oh there's no way CJ Crone with a bad back in damp San Diego is gonna have any power at all. And then all of a sudden, look out, here he is. Yeah, I mean
2: I think with CJ, like he has the like these weeks. It's like week or like two weeks stress, right? Where he just for some reason he just channels the power of like frank thomas and he just becomes the most vicious slugger you have ever seen in your life and everything he hits is a rope no hit like 400 feet everything and then he goes on like a two-week slump and then everything hits is on the ground so it's like we just happened to catch it right at that time man we just caught the the start of it hopefully it carries on throughout the rest of the road trip and against the dodgers too because yeah um i thought uh, oddly enough, I thought, you know, I saw him obviously. I thought uh, Chris Bryant had the best looking plate appearances for most of this series. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but I thought he looked very, very good. You know, a lot of confirmation of, you know, because last year he had a weird year, struck out very little, chased very little, didn't whiff, but, and he's kind of doing the the same things this year so far.
1: I'd agree with that. Uh, if we're talking about in terms of, of plate appearances and working counts, I, I don't have a disagreement. I think there's a lot more potency that he could be putting into the ball. I think there's there's just kind of some consistent on base skills that he's displaying that seems sustainable. So uh, but I mean, c- we're completely right about Crone. It's been scorching hot like he's he's got a 16 or no, excuse me. He's got a 1600 slugging percentage and a 2.329 OPS after three games like that's insanely hot. Um, I think it goes to show that you you can't invest into spring training stats. Like he literally comes out of the gate and is just lighting the world on fire after having a pretty you know abysmal spring uh relative to what spring training is uh, i would I would say Blackman has been pleasantly surprising because I think there's been a lot of chatter about. Can Chuck cut it anymore? Like, can he catch up to 95 over the plate and do damage on the pitches he should be doing damage on? And he showed that consistently throughout the San Diego series so far. So um, I think that's a good sign that uh, maybe some of the fall off that a lot of people have been expecting for Blackman isn't quite there yet. And he can still be a threat at the plate. So, um, I mean, those are the big three, because right now between McMahon tovar for the most part harold castro is getting a lot of playing time which is not fun and diaz there's nothing coming out of that so it kind of has to be on Blackman, on crone and on Bryant. and they're at least doing it and that's honestly why they got two wins along with freeland and marquez
0: yeah with harold castro um honestly he was getting that playing time out of necessity because yurks and profar still had not joined the team mm-hmm. um and uh, we saw last night, uh, Profar is now with the team. Uh, he showed up about halfway through the game in uniform and ready to go, wearing uh, jersey number 29. And we're expecting him to be in the lineup for today's season finale, uh, not season finale, um, series finale against the Padres. So we'll see how that goes, especially because Castro, um, not particularly inspiring in his first two games is a, is Rocky.
2: Yeah, again, like what Kenneth said, don't put too much stock into spring training stats. He- Castro was hitting like Tony Gwynn during spring, but not anymore. I mean, this is just who he is. So I don't know, man. I feel like Montero's, uh, you know, like just jumping topics a little bit. Montero's had a little bit of a weird start to the season. He has chased a lot. He has whiffed a lot. He has gone just after every single non-fastball off the plate. He's gone after it. But he's Homer and the you know, I think he's hitting like what three hundred so far? I don't know, he's probably like one yeah. four for 4 twelve.
1: Yeah. yeah, three three five is the slash.
0: Yeah.
2: So like the numbers are there, but he, the process has not been great for him.
0: Yeah, especially so, in I that, say that. in that first game where he struck out bad in his first three plate appearances. But he's making solid contact. Like you said, he's uh, he's four for 13, and he's got that first home run of the season. What I really think it is for Montero is, again, you can't put too much stock into spring training. But also, because of his lack of playing time last year, he's still working on developing a consistent plate approach against major league pitching and a lot more of the breaking stuff that you're going to see at a major league level. And at the very least, we can say that um, at least for these first three games, Montero has started all three and he's getting that playing time. So hopefully he's going to continue getting the at-bats and can continue to work on his plate approach because when he makes contact, he's great. But when he's, he's whiffing like that so bad, then it's an issue.
1: These were the warts of him on his prospect uh, card too. I mean, so it's not necessarily something new. It's, I, I remember Eric Long and Hangins with Fan Graphs was just like blown away from the fact that Montero had like a, a full series where he literally swung at every pitch <laughs> except for like one in his final at bat or something like that, where it's just you need to like every other or every third swing when you think about doing it, just don't do it is <laughs> like kind of what he needs to learn. So it's, <clears throat> I specifically didn't throw Montero into the mix of the the bad versus the good of Bryant, Blackman, and Crone because he's kind of been that in-between. Like, it can be refined, and then he can be a lot more potent of a hitter, or he can just be a little too free-swinging and put up a lot of one-for-fives with a big one, and then a whole lot of nothing on the other four. Like, that's kind of the the hitter that he's making himself right now. So, um, yeah, I mean, just that that plate approach has to, to be reined back a little bit. And then defensively, he's been fine, so that's the good news, too. Um, he's you know twenty three strong innings at third
0: base. So, yeah, yeah, the good and the bad. And we've been we've been so spoiled as Rockies fans at third base defense, where there were a couple plays. Um, watching uh, Monty over at third base, where I'm like, eh, you know, Nolan makes that play, but right. ninety nine for a pop up, but ninety nine percent of other third basemen are not going to make that play. Yeah, yeah so, I said
2: that too. Yeah, he's like, because been... we because we went from Nolan to Ryan too. So <laughs>
0: uh-huh. yeah, yeah, so he, he, he's he's like, been totally fine.
2: Yeah. The um, thing I think I would say, my bad, Evan. Um no, go right ahead. Funnily enough, uh, Montero has better uh, you know, bottom line stats, but I've actually liked the you know the process of Tovar's plate appearances more as I've watched him. Um, you know, I think we all talked about you no know, and we all thought about like the thing that really stands between Tovar and stardom is pitch selection because uh, if he can swing at the right pitches and let the wrong ones go, you know, the bat speed, the hand-eye coordination, everything is going to be there and is going to take care of itself. So I've actually been very encouraged by that. He's taken some hacks of pitches he shouldn't have taken. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I, I thought his play discipline has been fine. And, I, you know, again, it's a two for 12, and he's been making a lot of contact on the ground. But, you know, that's probably going to work itself out as long as he's swinging at the right pitches. I'm happy with that. And defensively, of course,
0: he is who he is. Like this is the glove that he has. So, yeah, he's been working a lot of counts, and that's been really nice to see. Where he's not going down in in three pitches, he's taking some nice long advance.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the strikeout rate, too, is is in half. I mean, uh, Montero's at 50% while Tovar's at 25 And Tovar has a, a unique problem where he has such an elite contact skill that it's not that he'll strike out on pitches. It's that he will not have any he won't drive the ball with any authority because he's swinging at bad pitches and putting the ball in play. So um, yeah, 75% ground ball rate is not you know going to cut it, but I think that that's an adjustment that can be made. And I think when he is getting those meaty pitches over the plate, that's kind of what he's been showing. He can, he can handle right now and drive. So um, a little bit less work needed there for Tovar to be consistently good. And it's just a little bit more line drive elevation and just lay off some
0: of those out of the zone because weak contact's not going to cut it. And you can say that for a lot of Rockies hitters, especially after last season, where that ground ball rate and weak contact rate for everybody was just such a huge issue. And it's three games also.
2: Yeah. Because then, you know, he starts scorching the ball in the air like he's capable, perfectly capable of. And, you know, we kind of look stupid here. But again, this is just how baseball goes. Like at, at the end of the day, what you're looking at, especially in the first few games, is the process. You know, just for everyone, you're looking at the process more than the results because a lot of, you know, like, I know that Montero has more hits than Tawar, but I remember, you know, at least a couple of those being, you know, what newspaper has, you know, like, he just kind of swings, just blows one, it just happens to drop. Yeah. And Tawar has been making, you know, decent contact. So, again, that's really, but, you know, following that Montero and Tavar, you know, press, like, they both need to have better pitch selection because we have it over here in the notes. I like that title, by the way. They ain't the walkies. I like that. (laughs) That made me laugh for some reason. It's corny, but it made me laugh. I like that. They have not been taking walks at all. Mm -hmm. At all. Because Mustakas took two, and both of those were on four pitches each. And it was because I think it was walkie who just could not find the zone for some reason against him.
0: Yeah, it was. was, So the Rockies have only drawn uh, seven walks so far, and six of them are two guys it's cj crone chris bryant and mike Mostakis with two each and then the the seventh i believe is uh elias diaz who is is off to a pretty cold start otherwise but then even guys like you know charlie blackman who will draw a walk every now and then nothing and then you have guys like uh yonatan daza who didn't strike out a lot last season it was one of his his best parts of his season last year was that he did not strike out a lot. And he has the second most strikeouts on the team currently with five, especially in that first game where, you know, everybody was striking a a lot, but it was odd to see him chase as much.
2: Can I hand out one particular stat about the whole team, the team as a whole? Sure. Uh, the Rockies, after three games, they have the fourth highest chase rate in baseball. They have chased 35.3% of pitches out of the zone. Only the Diamondbacks, Tigers, and White Sox are ahead of them. So, yeah, it's a team-wide epidemic.
0: So, what my question At this is point, three games, for, for that uh, yeah. is how much do you think that has to do with uh new hitting coach uh, Bam Bam Mullins and... Adjustments he's made to the Rockies, you know, quote unquote, hitting philosophy. Because I know it's early, but they've been way more aggressive at the plate. Uh, I, I mean, I also, I'll go,
1: go ahead. My I was just going to say this also boils down to who's in the lineup right now. There's a you know guys like Montero, guys like Tovar, Diaz is Diaz is pressing. I would kind of say the same of McMahon right now too. So um, I think that there's just a more aggressive caliber of hitter. In the lineup a little yeah. bit more consistently right now.
2: Yeah, I feel like Ken is right on. It's just about as much as the personnel. Really, like you can give the most you know the most patient oriented hitting you know, hitting coach on the planet. If you give them a lineup of free swingers, which this lineup you know aside from Bryant, this lineup is basically all guys who have average play discipline or very aggressive. You give them you know you give a guy like that a lineup of free swingers, and the change numbers are going to look bad. I think this is just as much as it is like an organizational philosophy and you know bam bam was kind of asked to deal with it that it is you know just him coming over and just immediately implementing his philosophy which is really not that i mean teams has been with have really not been free swing teams and you know i read a piece uh on Fangraphs. you know it was like an interview with him uh, about you know the hidden philosophy and he was like and basically he's he's preaching being aggressive in the zone before two strikes and then you know being disciplined once you get to two strikes. So he's preaching that adjustment that some guys in the lineup make automatically. I know Tovar's a guy like that. He has a big leg kick before two strikes, then he ditches it with two strikes. So, you know, just that approach. I don't really think it has anything to do with the pitching coach, really. It's just the personnel. Like, Castro Castro's out there. Elias Diaz, like we talked about him. I think, Kenny, you said it in the chat. Like, he looks broken at the plate right now
1: it's when it's when it's cold it's ice cold with diaz and then he'll kind of the same way we talked about the streakiness with crone it's just i think very larger swaths of two months of you know great uh production at the plate with diaz and then a lot of other time off completely so um i mean this is the the worry you know if diaz can't can't cut it with the bat you know, kind of what you get with Brian Servin, which isn't going to be a very high ceiling, at least offensively. So, what does the position become if Diaz isn't isn't doing it? And I don't know. I mean, maybe you can chalk it up to World Baseball Classic, and you know, uh, being thrown out of the groove in preparation for the season. But it's there's it's it's pretty much all on Diaz is the the
0: philosophy. So that's what the the worry is moving forward. Yeah, and I want to with Diaz yeah, you we needed them to and, and you know there's still definitely time to turn it around it is three games into the season but you wanted him to go into the season with a little bit more gusto than the last two seasons because that's been his issue where he is just ice ice cold to start the season for the first couple months and then you've got to wait and see if he's going to break out of it. And that's not what you want in uh, your catcher, especially when you are hitting them mostly out of the seventh spot in the lineup instead of at the bottom of the lineup. Like we generally see um, in Bud Black's lineup construction, you would generally see the catcher at the bottom of the lineup, but through the first three games, uh, Diaz has been been hitting at the seventh spot with Tovar and sometimes somebody else in those eight and nine spots. And Mario, I like what you said about um, Bam Bam, because I was watching the the club last night on at and Sportsnet, Rocky Mountain. Man, that's a mouthful. And, you know, he's going through the motions with Ryan McMahon, and those are the kinds of things he's going where he's also working about, like, hand and wrist control on your swings and getting that ball elevated – And so the reason why I brought it up is not to throw shade at Bam Bam, but to rather get a consensus of this is not a hitting coach problem because I don't think it is. And with Ryan McMahon, I'm not super worried about him yet. He only has three strikeouts in 13 at-bats. He's making contact, but it's it's weak contact or he's not getting in play. But when he makes good contact, he's already got who doubles this season? So I think there's still time for for Mac, even in this opening series, to to sort of flip that switch on there. Uh I'm not super worried about him yet, especially when he's a fairly known quantity. We know what he is uh we know what he is capable of as both the Rockies second baseman and as a hitter in the Rockies lineup. So he's not a guy I'm super worried about right now.
2: I agree with that. I'd say that you know at the end of the day, Mac is one of the guys with a better approach on the team. I mean, I wouldn't say his approach is like plus or anything like that, but it's definitely pretty solid. Uh, the guy I'm definitely worried about is Jonathan Daza because, for, like for the past two years, I've just had like this feeling about him. Like he is a fourth outfield that is being stretched thin past his breaking point a little bit. I think he overachieved last year. I think he's a good major league player, but he since he overachieved and now, basically, like, there's potential for this position to get really bad if they get if they get slow with Brent, no, with bringing Brenton Doyle up for some reason, and if Daza takes up the majority of the playing time, there's potential for center field to be bad because he's also been sloppy, and the field, as well, and that is a big 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 problem. Now I I won't talk about you know line of construction. I'll just leave it at that because I'm going to get mad when I think about the fact that the guy who is the most important player in this organization right now is the one who is being given the least amount of that bats because I'm going, I'm going to
0: get mad about that. So I'm not even going to talk about it. So, you, know. you already are. <laughs> my my, my <laughs> guess there no, is that you think Tovar should be the leadoff yeah. hitter. Absolutely.
2: Like showing the confidence though. Like, first of all, he's the most gifted, one of the most gifted. No, the hell with it. He's the most gifted hitter on this team aside from Chris Bryant hand-eye coordination, bad speed is all there. So yeah. give, just give him the leadoff spot, give him all the plate appearances. Let him learn. Like This is a season to learn for him. So let yeah, let I, him learn in high-leverage spots where he's going to be, hopefully.
0: Especially when he profiles as a prototypical leadoff hitter with good contact skills and good base running speed, but instead they're going to give the leadoff spot to Yurix and Profar uh, when he is in the starting lineup for some reason.
2: Oh, that's going to be great. <laughs> I'll tell you, because listen, because a lot of these games, like, you know, a lot of these West Coast games over here in Spain, they started like 3 a.m. in the morning. So, obviously, I'm not staying up for that, especially for Jose Ureña's heart. Hell no. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, my choice. So, <laughs> so when I wake up in the morning, I just, you know, I, I just, you know, go to MLB TV and I just watch the game there. And, I bro, I've been fast forwarding through mad the Dawson played appearances and Elias Diaz played appearances. I'm like, dude, no. I have things to do. I do not want to watch these play appearances right now. So you can add Jerickson Brofart to the list of guys who I'm going to be fast forward and play appearances. I wish him the best, but God.
1: yeah, I can't do this, I th- bro. I think you bring up a good point with, with Daza defensively in center field. Um, It was kind of a tough sky on opening day. It, at least for Daza. So, if, if That brings up a bigger question, though, where if he takes a step back defensively to where he can no longer be an average center fielder, what really is he bringing to the table, especially in the starting lineup? Um, this is why he's an ideal fourth outfielder, and I think that, sadly, this is going to start the Rockies having the itch to get Randall Gritchick in there as soon as possible over something like Bretton Doyle, which uh, that's you know something to look forward to or not, depending on how you look at it. Tovar, when it comes to the top of the lineup, I think that in a big picture, anybody who's hitting leadoff right now is just keeping that seat warm for Zach Veen when we talk about the future of the organization. So I think there is a little bit of silver lining where, okay, if Provar is there and he is the responsible adult at the top of the lineup and then you get um, Tovar acclimated to two-hole, I'm fine with that if that's the way it works. But I also think that it's a disservice to not be getting Tovar um, really acquainted with leadoff and have a contingency plan basically in place um for, for the the future. But he has to earn his way up to the top of the order. I understand that. And that's the point of the season that we're at right now. Um that's just kind of the traditional list of baseball talking. So um I believe it will happen. I think they're high enough on Tovar to where that's going to become the case. But I also think that Jonathan and Daza, to your point, Mario, is very worrisome right now because if he's not good in center and if his at-bats are a bit of a black hole in that lineup, man, you got to get something else in there and you got to do it quickly. So um, Daza has to overachieve, honestly, to to keep on getting playing time. That's the way
0: it's worked to this point And that's the way it's got to keep working moving forward. And it's unfortunate because, I really, I really like Jonathan Daza. I think he's a he's a cool guy with an amazing story, and he has talent. But you can definitely look at twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, and go those were probably overperforming from him. Where in twenty twenty one he hit two eighty two and on base percentage three thirty two, and then last year he hit three oh one and on base three forty nine, and. He was one of the hard, like I said, he was one of the harder guys to strike out last season. But with how he has started off this year, there is planting that seed of worry for him.
2: Yeah, and the thing with Daza is like he is—he's kind of like the polar opposite of a three-trunk hitter, but he lives on the same tightrope as a three-trunk hitter. You know, with like a guy like a Joey Gallo, for example, if the strikeouts cross a certain path, like 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 a certain level, a certain threshold he can no longer be realistically productive. With Jonathan Daza, it's actually the same point because since he doesn't make quality contact and he doesn't walk, if the strikeouts cross a certain threshold and he's no longer putting an obscene amount of balls in play, then he could just no longer get enough hits to get on base at a decent clip and actually be productive. So I think the swing and miss is just super worrisome for him, but I would be very surprised if the Rockies don't have a quick plan in place, hopefully, that is does not involve Randall Gritchick because Britton Doll has looked okay in Albuquerque. We know this physical twos. You now, I, w- I was thinking about it. Doll is kind of built like a 6'3 th- Brian Dawkins, something like that. He's I did like, not he, expect he's, a he's, Brian
1: Dawkins reference today, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, like he's built like a safety,
2: like he's built like yeah. a safety. So, yeah, uh, get the power in the lineup, please.
1: Uh, yeah. it's it's Probably going to be controversial a little bit, but you know what I'm coming to realize is a harsh reality about Jonathan Daza. There's a bit of a product at Coors Field that comes with him because we talk about the overachiever. Uh, Man, the difference between home and road is kind of night and day. 304, 349, 400 with an OPS plus of 119 career at home. 259, 311, 308 with an 82 on the road. You know, he needs some home cooking for us to see a little bit more of the player that we've we've seen to this point. Um, So hopefully when, you know, the Washington series rolls around and he starts getting played with a much, you know, a much larger outfield, there can be a little bit more productivity to him. But that's part of the overachiever with Jonathan Daza, I think, is he gets to take advantage of a very large outfield, especially for a guy that doesn't have much thump in that bat. Um, Get him back home. Let's let's see how he starts looking there. Because um, that's just one of the one of the realities when it comes to
0: Jonathan Dawsey. He's just going to be better at home for you. Yeah, and you know that's going to be a, a lot of guys in this lineup. And what I'm really interested to see is the the hitting and and the offensive numbers have been okay through these first three games. Um, they they sort of petered off yesterday, but we still had four runs on six hits yesterday with a road home run. And CJ Crone had some pretty unpleasant home road splits last year and he's got three home runs already. All three are on the road. So what I want to see is after that first home stretch, how they do on the road after that, Mm -hmm. because starting the season on the road, after playing all your spring training games in um, Arizona and you have played no games in Colorado yet at this point versus going back on the road after playing games at Coors Field, that's when the Coors hangover can kick in. And the real question for this year offensively is, are they going to be able to kick that hangover better than they have in previous seasons, especially last year where the Road Rockies were just absolutely abysmal to watch?
2: Yeah. One thing I will say too is that at least with the new rules, you know, incentivizing stolen bases, maybe they run a little bit more because I will say that one of the more underrated parts about how brutal the Rockies were to watch offensively last year is the fact that they didn't run at all. Because like, you can be a, a mediocre hitting team, but if you run and you steal a lot of bases and you're aggressive on the on the base badge, you're at least going to be a little bit fun to watch. But if they, you play station to station baseball and you have no power, oh man, that's brutal. So, yeah. But I do want to see that first transition, though, because now it's like, the, you know, the slate's clean. You know, they don't have that difference in pitch movement to adjust to. So we'll see how it goes, obviously. You know, fingers crossed. But, yeah.
1: I, I'm i not as rosy when it comes to stolen bases. I think that there's basically just one stolen base threat on this roster right now, and that's Ezekiel Tovar. Um there's new rules in place that are going to help it a little bit. Maybe Profar. I, I'm I'm looking at it and there's maybe two guys basically that are gonna swipe double digit bags for us this year. And that's yeah, I don't expect a drastic improvement in that department, I guess.
2: More wishful thinking on my part,
1: really. Yeah. I mean there's there's more on the horizon. If you start getting Brenton Doyle and Zach feed into it, yeah, there's a whole different story that's coming on the horizon. But for what this roster is right now, I don't think you know, Elias Diaz is pulling out 12 stolen bases out of his butt
0: this year. I think it's basically <laughs> just on Tovar right now. Yeah. Hey, Ryan McMahon stole seven last year.
2: He might get into double digits this year, actually. Might,
1: might. Might. But I'm kind of feeling the same way about maybe Yurix and Profar might too. If
0: I have any confidence, it's Tovar. And that's about <laughs> it.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that's fair. All righty. Well, we're going to take a quick break here and we get back. uh, We're going to have a real meaty discussion about the Rockies pitching staff here through these first three games, Uh, especially Jose Ureña. I think there's going to be some words to be had. So stick around and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Affected by Altitude on Rocky Mountain Rooftop. Uh, Still with me is Mario Delgado and Kenneth Weber. I'm Evan Lang. And after the uh, first half, we were – mostly talking about the at-bats and the the offense for the first three games. Now we're going to look at the other side of things and talk about pitching. And for the first two games that the Rockies played this year, I think there was a lot to like, especially with Hermann's start against the Padres on opening day, where he looked so much better than he did this time of year, last year, and this is after, and I know we just finished saying, don't put too much stock into spring training, but he had a really good spring where he looked comfortable and effective. And I think he carried that into his first start of the season where he goes six innings, uh, only gives up two runs, uh, struck out five. Most important thing, no walks. Uh, he did give up five hits, but no walks and kept that damage to a minimum.
1: It That's was strong. Yeah, man, it, it, it was a strong outing. Um, and I think, you know, I, I talked about it at ad, ad nauseum. So much of the rock he's being respectable this year is hinged on Marquez coming back into ACE form. Um, And I think that it was a pretty good showing. Uh, The stuff looked crisp. I think that there's there's still work on that that sinker. That secondary fastball offering was really problematic for him last year and um I think it's you know just in a brief sample it was better but there were some still you know some some hard barrels that were found on that sinker. So um it was encouraging. Like, it, it was very encouraging. I think it was a strong outing. I think that it gives the Rockies a chance to win. And if you can consistently get that out of your top two, that's going to go a long way in actually achieving victories
0: this year. So, uh, great, great beginning of the year for Marquez. Yeah, I especially thought his uh, his slider and his knuckle curve looked really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the sinker definitely looked improved from last year. Though of course, there's obviously still work to do. Yeah. Um, Oh, I forget. I forget what it's called. There's a Twitter account that's like MLB Pitch Value uh, that was pitch talking quality, about I think it is. pitch quality. That was talking about um, the improvement in the quality of his his sinker overall. And if you can keep improving on that sinker, then you know things are looking great. Especially when you combine it with his his real quality breaking stuff in that knuckle curve in that slider. Yeah,
2: that so go go ahead.
1: ahead. I was just going to say the curve has to be more than 16%. Like, oh, yeah. that's, it's such a good pitch. And so it's, and Mario, this is, you know, unfortunately <laughs> setting you up for your blood to boil a little bit here. But man, that that needs to be 2A at the very least, along with the slider at 2B, um, because it's, it's a little too fastball dependent. And man, that breaking ball, both of them are, are
0: good and have different shapes that are to his advantage. That knuckle curve, yeah. when he's got it working. Is one of the best pitches in the league.
2: It's a 70. The best
1: pitch on the staff.
0: And he only throws 15% of the time.
2: Oh, well, you know.
1: <laughs> like, go ahead, here's,
2: here's the thing. Okay, so here's, here, <laughs> here's how I would put Herman's start. Almost all of it was super encouraging, except his actual pitch usage. Like, the shapes of his pitches, I thought, looked as crisp as they've looked, and Three years, three or four years. Uh, for the first time in a while, his four seam and his sinker are different pitches. Like, you know, like if you watched him last year, uh, you know, like uh, his uh, his arm saw dropped, his four seam was running on him, sinker was flat. And a lot of times you watch him pitch and, you, you know, he threw a fastball, you were like, was that a four seam or was that a sinker? You know, like it, it was kind of like you kind of get crossed up a little bit because they were so tight together. Like it, they basically have the same movement profile, only like a couple inches of difference. And that star in San Diego, they were totally different. His scene had decent carry. He's never going to have elite carry. He's just not that kind of guy. But it had decent carry. He was throwing it hard. He, it wasn't running on him. And the sinker had depth. So that's already a good thing, number one. Good thing number two, his slider finally has an, an identity again. The last two years has been basically a crappy curveball for him. But that's the best way I have to describe it. His slider is just a curveball that does not break. Last night, uh, not not last night, the first game of the season, it was actually hit its own pitch again. It was very hard. He almost averaged 90 miles an hour on it. Uh, It was hard. It was super vertical. Not a lot of break, but it doesn't need it when you throw that hard. And the curveball was different from the slider, about 10 inches of difference again. So the shapes of his pitches, I thought, looked very good. The problem, as as I've said, his arm slot also was higher than it was last year, which tells me mechanically he looked great. Problem again is pitch usage. I like Kenneth mentioned it, too many fastballs. I mean, thing about Herman is he's a little bit of a weird case because he's a guy who sits 96, who really should not throw a lot of fastballs. Like it sounds counterproductive when you think about it, because you know, if you throw that hard, why, and you have good control, why wouldn't you throw a lot of fastballs? Well, in his case, it's because his fastballs just don't have great shape. Like I talk about as far as he not having great carry, he doesn't spin it like that. Is you know, the arm slide is pretty normal. There's just not a whole lot of deception with it. It just throws hard. So he's a guy that needs to be in the lower range of fastball usage. For me, I know Kenneth mentioned the curveball. It's his best pitch. Uh, and in my opinion, he should throw that thing to lefties like 50% of the time. Something like that. Like, it, he should really be a guy who realistically throws 40% fastballs, 60% breaking balls, in my opinion. That's and,
1: funny. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, what's funny about that is he does have a changeup, but predominantly that out pitch against lefties is going to be that curveball. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's built into um to his arsenal. Um, the other point that I just want to make real quick, too, we talked about with Bam Bam and the, the hitting philosophy and the influence that a hitting coach can have and how it ultimately boils down to the personnel. I think this is an exact opposite situation where the Rockies pitching staff as a whole kind of get their butts blown out on their fastballs all the time, and yeah. that is a direct result of the organizational pitching philosophy and the influence um, that they have on what they want guys to throw, counterproductive to kind of what their strengths can be. Um, so I think that Marquez is is the uh, case A example of that more often than not.
2: Uh, yeah, I've also we've talked about of, it
0: before but, uh, where. Sorry, Mario. We've talked about it before where this organization tends to try and jam a lot of their pitchers into the same mold when that's really counterproductive to what you want in a pitching staff, where you want a variety of guys who can do different things instead of just a bunch of sinker ballers, just a bunch of fastball throwers.
2: Yeah. I don't, and I don't actually know why that is. I feel like, I don't know. Maybe it's because Buddy is so terrified of walks that he figures, hey, if we throw so many fastballs, then we won't walk guys. Well, that may be true. Not necessarily, by the way. Uh, But the problem is that, yeah, maybe you're not walking guys, but you're giving up doubles in the gap. So is that really worth it? You know what I mean? Like, is it really worth it giving up more balls in play when you play heavy games in the park that boost a ball in play more than any other in the majors by a country mile? I don't agree with that. And I think this is it's kind of like pitching scared or playing scared. It's kind of like like the pitching philosophy is a little bit scary to me. Like the Rockies should be a team that is all in on pitching in a very aggressive, forward thinking manner. Tons of breaking balls. You know what I mean? Like tons of sliders, tons of curveballs, using pitches where they should be. Instead, they kind of pitch in like this damage controlling manner where they think, okay, you know, we just, you know, control the you know the bottom half of the zone. We won't give up home runs, which by the way is a lie. You know, hitters have been, hitters have been, have, have spent the last 15 years being trained on how to scoop pitches at the knees and, you know, hit them 450 feet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like that point is just, you know, guys need to pitch their strengths, man. Like you might not like it, but Herman is a vertically oriented pitcher. Fastball at the top of the zone, vertically oriented breaking balls. He's going to give up his home runs. It's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. then you have other guys who are more east west. Kyle Freeland is more of an east-west type guy. But Herman is not. You don't need to make a pitch that matter. Yeah. Up, no, north-south, north-south. Are you going to strike out more guys? Yes. Like, that's the Herman Marquez. Like, in 2018, he actually kicked out, of, like, one, 1. 1.3 home runs per nine? And he was still amazing because he struck out guys and didn't walk many. Like, you need to take advantage of the strengths of your guys, man. I feel like, you know, like, and I talked about uh, last time I was on here, I talked about, like, Herman is really going to be the case study for me to think, okay, have they evolved their thinking when it comes to pitching or is there still a disconnect at the major league roster so far? His pitch shapes look better. Fastball usage, not so much. And I'm very tired of seeing a D F call for low fastballs down and away. That's what I wanted to say before.
0: Yeah. Especially so, yeah. with, you know, Erman, Ar- you talk about his fastball. He's got one of the lower spin rates for a fastball of top of the rotation guys in the league. But when he puts that high up, and especially he can get some real gas on that high in the zone, where he can hit like ninety nine on that fastball. That's that's the kind of pitch he should want, but that should not be his, you know, seventy five percent, sixty percent. He's throwing that. Um. But over overall, I'm I'm happy with what we saw out of of Erman. And then you brought up, you know, Kyle Freeland, who you know, the East-West oriented pitcher. He took the second start of the series against the Padres, and he also had a pretty interesting game where early on he wasn't super sharp, and he he definitely wasn't at his best. I will say that, but he was efficient, and he pitched, I think, overall well. He threw also six innings. Uh, only 74 total pitches through that six innings uh, of shutout baseball. Only walked one batter and gave up three hits. His ability
1: to work both sides of the plate in that game as, as it went along was uh, inspiring. Um, you know, Mario, you said it well with uh Herman's strengths being more north south and Freeland east west. Freeland can be a very uncomfortable bat, especially for right handed hitters, and that yeah. is where his strengths come in. And I think he showed that pretty well in his first start of the season. He didn't quite have it um initially as as you mentioned, Evan, but I I think he got there. Uh, and just to get it out of the way, that defensive play that he made was freaking dope. <laughs> yeah, he went full DNP on that. So um, there was the athlete that he showed off. But really, you know, there there have been a handful of starts that I can remember off the top of my head with Freeland, where he just eats righties up on their hands. And when he's on, he does that consistently. Um, and I think you you saw glimpses of it in his first start
0: this year. So that was that was good.
2: Yeah, it was the same me with Kyle. Same ahead, kind
0: of picture that we saw in the World Baseball Classic when he was uh when he faced that that heart of samurai japan's order and I was so scared just, and just got it done because that was <laughs> it was like he hadn't pitched in weeks at that point and he goes in and he is facing some of the best hitters Japan has to offer and he got it done. Yeah. And that's that's something that when he's on, like you said, kind of we know that he is is capable of working both sides of the plate of of really just getting the getting the job done. He's never gonna be a you know light you up pitcher. Like he's not he's not Airman. He's not a high strikeout rate pitcher, he's not gonna be throwing the gas, but he's got the abilities that he needs to be successful.
2: Yeah. The thing Kyle, Kyle has a couple of things really going for him. One is his command is generally very good. Far better than Carman, actually, who's more of a control of a command type. Uh, the second thing he has is he's a lefty. Obviously, that's a, that's an advantage right away. And the third thing he has is that because of the way his fastball moves, like Kenneth said, he just eats Fridays up when he's locating well. His fastball cuts on him, if you see it, and he just eats them up for breakfast. He pitches them up and in, and that sets up back foot breaking balls. He's actually kind of similar to Carman in that he is a four-seam sinker, slider, curveball guy. His changeup is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying this for years. His changeup is just bad, and it's weird because you would expect a guy like like him, who's a crafty lefty, to have a great changeup, but he does not. So I would say that for him, just throw the changeup away mm-hmm. and treat the slider kind of like a cutter, which is kind of his already. So for him, you kind of have to look at you know four seam. you know righties you throw four seams, then you throw curveballs, you know to the back foot. That's your swing and miss pitch, and curveball. Which by the way, his curveball used to be terrible as well, and it's become very good over the past two three years. So that's a plus for him. Definitely. Yeah. And then to left is you throw a gazillion sliders and some sinkers off the plate. I was actually a little bit worried. And I'm still worried with him because I just think that you can only get away with so much when you, you know, when you, you know when you're averaging like 88, 89 miles an hour. And I understand he's a lefty and his command is good, but I would like to see him at least break the 90 mile an hour barrier again before I can be like, you know what? I'm comfortable with Kyle, you know, consistently as the three, four and in the rotation. If he's at 89, 88, I'm gonna be nervous every start. He's gonna get through it because he locates very well and his pitches make sense. But I'm just saying, bro, like that 92 he averaged in 20, no, 2018, 2017 is a long way from now. Long way no, long way away. So I don't know. It's I'm kind of like in a wait and see with him. I was very pleased with his first start, but I'm gonna wait and see. Jose Rena, that's not I don't even know how much we need to save. I don't even, like, dog, I just do, like, please, I don't understand for the life of me how a major league team in the year of our Lord, 2023, is looking at this guy and is saying, this guy starts game for us. I don't get it. And it's not even a shot at Ureña himself. I think he can actually get major league hitters out in a diminished role as a low-leverage reliever. He's fine. He throws hard. He's fine. But, like, son, how in the world do you look at this guy and you say, this is a starting pitcher for us? He has nothing to get left out with. I don't even know if I need to say anything anymore. It's just every single start he has, it's just going to be a
0: pain. So really, Jose Arrhenia started game three, and it was bad. He couldn't finish three innings. He gave up four walks, which is more than the entire Rockies pitching staff gave up in the first two games. He... Jose Arrhenia is demonstrative, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a sec, of the precipitous drop off of the Rockies' rotation after your one and two guys, Erman Marquez and Kyle Freeland. And Arrhenia had some good starts last year. Absolutely, he did. But especially at the beginning of his tenure, he was, we were talking about this a little bit during the break. Um, He was a good guy to bring in and see what he's got and try and fill the gap, especially after like Senza Taylor went down with his ACL tear and our needs for starting pitching depth. And his first month with the team and his first start with the team, pretty solid. But the rest of his season was, I think, not that good, not good enough to say this guy is our number three starter. Whereas I think on any on any good team in major league baseball Jose Arenia is not a number 5 starter he's he's just not like Mario said he doesn't have the stuff to get lefties out he doesn't really even have the stuff to get righties out in a extended appearance and and I agree that he could probably be a solid low leverage reliever if that's the role that we put him into but he is not a rotation pitcher and should not be a rotation pitcher, especially this high up in the rotation.
1: Sensatella made for the nice little bridge, um, to, you know, the middle of the rotation. So I think that that, that hurts not having that guy there. And it's, it feels a little almost irresponsible to to pencil Iranian as the, the three on the staff, um, and, you know, you saw why it's it was a huge drop off from the first two games in terms of level competitiveness, competitiveness and quality of play um, to when you get to Irania. And one of the things that really is tough with Irania is, man, you can be out of ball games very quickly when he takes the ball on the mound. Um, you know, in the first inning last year, opponents had a 904 OPS against him. He had as many walks as strikeouts uh, in his first 25 pitches of a game. He has, you know, 17 walks in 122 plate appearances and an 801 OPS against. And like he he puts himself in dangerous situations and then he gets burned from them is kind of the the um, expectation for Jose Arrana. And that's your number three starter, man. And it, like it showed in 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 the game, what is it? A four nothing hole pretty much right away that he's, you know, putting the team in. They fought a little bit more admirably. That also comes with CJ Crone hitting the ball to, you know, Las Cruces nice. or whatever. Um, but he, yeah, man, Arania, it's hard to see a competitive starting pitcher coming out of him on a consistent basis, especially when he's just so butts the first time through the order. So, yeah, I, I unfortunately, I'm not surprised is, is the tough part.
0: Yeah, he put himself in danger uh, very frequently last night. Um, just walking a, a very thin tightrope of long counts, long at bats, throwing a lot of balls. He was not putting things in the zone very well. He was not locating well. And it just, it burned him. And that's something that was kind of a known quantity for Urania, um, especially at the tail end of last season, which is why it, was strange for them to immediately pencil him in as the number three guy. And it's, it's tough because it there definitely is, there is a drop off in skill from your one and two guys to the rest of the rotation. But Arrhenia is not the number three. And the two other guys we have in the rotation, Ryan Feltner has oodles of potential and just needs to put things together. Mario, I know you are very high on Felty. I would put Feltner at the number three spot at this point. And then your number four guy is Austin Gomber, who needs to prove that he's got it to be a big league starter this year. This is a a very important year for Gomber. And then at number five, if I was constructing this team, it sure wouldn't be Arania. It would probably be uh, Connor Siebold or... Even, we were talking about this in the break as well, after what we saw from uh, Ty Block last night, I would rather see Ty Block out there because you know he's going to at least a couple innings and he's not going to put you in as bad a situation as we were put in last night by Jose Arrhenia because you really don't want that to be. It was such a momentum killer where the Rockies have all this momentum from the first two games playing really well against the Padres and then number three, just, and that's the opposite of what you want. And the real issue is that this is a continued problem for the Rockies where they do not pursue starting pitching depth because, oh no, 22 years ago, we signed Mike Hampton to a bad contract. And now we just never do anything to address starting pitching in the offseason where, you know, down in, down in AAA, we have, well you have you have Noah Davis and you have um, you have Kaufman who Kaufman's not ready yet and um Peter Lambert and Peter Lambert's going to get his first start of the season with the Isotopes uh today but that's tough because Lambert hasn't regularly pitched since 2019 and that's and that's why real talk that's why he was not on the opening day roster this year is because they need to get him stretched out, make sure he's healthy, all that stuff. But you just don't have the depth right now. And it's so frustrating because it's a self-inflicted wound. And we've been saying this like every year for the past five years of, man, this team really doesn't have a lot of starting pitching depth, huh? Yeah.
2: And the thing is, they haven't even been great at developing it, you know, just by themselves either. So it's like, you you run into the situation where like the reason, you know, Jose Reina was actually an okay pickup last year was because there was nobody depth wise. He just needed a warm body who could throw a little bit and eat up some innings. But now this year the thing I don't understand is why they got Connor Sebo and how they looked at him and Renya and thought, yeah, or is that guy who, who should be starting games. I just don't understand how they arrived at that conclusion. Um, Start like I don't even, I don't even know what to say. I, I think like Austin, like Austin Gomber is clear. This is the make or break year for him as a starting pitcher. Like if he doesn't, you know, and he has three good pitches. and I like Austin Gomber, but he doesn't know the Velo does not rebound to where at least where it was last year. I don't, I don't just don't can't see it. The fastball just doesn't play anywhere else. Um, yeah, I know I like Brian Felder. I think he's very talented. I think he he does have this problem where he sometimes lets uh, innings. Uh, snowball out of control on him a little bit. And I think that can fix itself with a little bit more reps. He wasn't really ready uh, last year. His pitch make was, was changing as the year went along. So I think this will be a more accurate you know, representation of who it can be at least, you know, first look. Um, And really the thing I would say uh, with the Rockies, I don't think Kaufman is as far away as we think he is. I don't think Davis is as far away as we think he is maybe because Kaufman, like, when like when I saw him pitch, you know, in spring training, you know, some of the outings that had, you know, a Statcast report, the pitch mix was, was already there. Like, it's not a high-ceiling guy because he throws 91, but 91, 92. But the pitch mix, I think, is already there to get starters out, you know, to get, uh, you know, major league hitters out, my bad. And I feel similarly for Noah Davis, where you just kind of have to throw these guys out there and see what they have. Like, it's a good... It's a good shot, and Davis especially, that they're just relievers because they lack fastball utility. But it's much, 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 much better than just throwing Jose Renia out there. And let's not, and, you know, and, and, and let's be clear, is not going to be as bad at every start as he was this past start. He just could not find the plate at all. However, the upside he gives you is a five and a half ERA. Do you really want that in an evaluation year? Like, is that really what we're going to do? At least start, Connell Siebold, who has two good pitches and has good command, and he will at least keep you in games. Like the fact that we're even considering, you know, swapping Ring out for tie Block is
0: actually just incredible. It's, an, it's indicative of of us knowing what you get from Urania because you know, last season as well, he had some some pretty solid starts, but then he would frequently follow that solid start up with up pretty mediocre or a pretty bad start. And I would much prefer to see the, the 27-year-old Connor Siebold, who, who has those two really good pitches, You know, seeing what we've got in him for a extended amount of time. And I, I definitely think, I agree with you that uh, Kaufman and Davis are not as far away as we think. Um, what's big for Kaufman is that he needs to show uh, that he can make the adjustments that he's done previously because he had his first year in Hartford and struggled and then his second year in Hartford was great and then his first year in Albuquerque he struggled and now we need to see is his second stint in Albuquerque is he going to be able to adjust from that and if he does then I think he's called up this year at some point and I think it's the same for Noah Davis I think we see them on the big league roster at some point this year and Honestly, I feel like we'll probably see Peter Lambert at some point up here too, if uh he can prove to be healthy and, and get stuff down at the triple done down at the AAA level. But why we need to to be worried about this kind of thing to begin with is beyond me. Because one, if we got Siebel, why not just put him into the rotation anyway, especially if he made the opening day roster? And two. I get that he follows the mantra of this guy wants to be here, but why did we give Jose Araña three $3.5 million with a $4 million club option for 2024?
1: There, there's just a lot of veteran favoritism that that comes in with Jose Arania. and I think a lot of it is unjustified. Um, you know, Mario said it, and the, the way I described it to the offseason, just casually talking with Rockies fans, is uh, Jose Arriena is good for a five five ERA, and they couldn't wait to bring that back, um, and that's kind of. Like, dude, that contract is worrisome. Not, you know, because of the financial obligation that comes with it, but it, the the lo- the level of commitment that it shows. Yeah. Um. You know, I would look at a Jose Iranium I'm like, all right, you can roll it back and you know buy some time for Sensatella to return to the rotation and maybe for Kaufman and or Davis to show that they're ready for it. But instead they're kind of invested in him coming for an entire year. And then if things go like last year, they bring it back a third time. Like that's kind of the way that they're, um, they're, they're showing it. So it's one start. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill with it. But I'm, I wasn't optimistic heading into the season and there might be a lot more of this, in the future, uh, Gomber, man, let's just see it. Let's just see what happens at this point because I think there's only so much more tinkering that we can, um, do with, with his profile and, and diagnosis that we can make. But ultimately, is he going to make it as a reliever or, or make it as a starter or is he just kind of fade to obscurity in a bullpen? Um, Feltner. You know, we, we're going to talk about Feltner plenty this year. There's a bit of a young John Gray uh, in terms of development that comes in with Ryan Feltner. That's going to be really interesting to see how that develops. He had a big jump in stuff in 2021, and that is showing him, you know, making that made him a major league pitcher. Now can he be a middle-of-the-rotation um, pitcher? And that, you know, comes into damage control, essentially. And so it, it's going to be interesting to see. Um you know, this is this is what you signed up for until Sensatella comes back. Is my honest opinion. I think Davis might be able to force the issue in terms of pure stuff. Uh, the results have to start showing for him in, um, in in the minors, though, at least as a starter, and then uh, for. For Kaufman, I think there's a little bit more of a fast track that comes in um, because I I think he was just gassed at the end of last year with Albuquerque. So he could be there, but I think those are more replacements for injury than replacements for performance is the plan in place for them. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an inspiring one and two. I think that there's a real chance that Feltner can bridge that gap um with his with his arsenal and you know with his aptitude for pitching but i'm not banking on Jose arena to do it and Austin Gomber is just a complete wild card so let's see what happens maybe it does but i i have no faith one way or the other uh on what's going to happen with Austin Gomber this year so that's why it's the the find out kind of season for him
0: yeah like we said it's the prove it year for Gomber he's I feel like all three of us right now are sitting right in the middle of middle for him. Of he's either going to be good and he's going to prove that he can be a starting pitcher in this league, or he's going to be bad and he's not long for being a starting pitcher and will, like he said, fade away in a bullpen. Jeff, and, Jeff Hoffman, lefty. Uh, Jeff Hoffman, who just got signed on a minor league deal by the Phillies, but that was the same thing of where you know Hoffman just he. I feel like he had his chance for his proving year and he proved that he wasn't a big league starter and I I know I don't want to see that happen to Gomber but all we can do is sort of wait and see and he's going to pitch today and I hope he does great I do I I think he's a he's a great guy and he's got some interesting pitches his curveball is can be electric
2: like cuz you know the thing that I've just realized now I agree with you that the Kerbal is really pretty. Uh, I think that the thing that's interesting is that almost all the depth guys, you know, the, you know, the guys that are you know, going to be the starting pitching depth that could potentially be something for the Rockies over the past, or, you know, over the next two years, they have this one thing they share, and that is that their fastball is their worst pitch. <laughs> and that is very interesting to me because these are guys who, again, in all their cases, they have the secondary stuff and, for the most part, the control to be starters, Gomber especially. But their fastball is their worst pitch. And this is an organization that preaches throwing a ton of fastballs. So, just like I said with Marquette before, this is going to be a telltale sign. Have they changed the way they think about pitching? And have they really, you know, took another step? into player development, and really thinking about this whole operation on a different level. Because if they have, I think they're going to get at least one or two solid starters out of that group of Seabold, Kaufman, Davis, uh, Lambert, and Gomber. They're probably going to get at least two, maybe three, actually, two or three, if they don't go overboard with the fastballs. If they go overboard with the fastballs, they're probably going to get two relievers and no starters out of that. Let's be 100 percent real about this. Like this is just what needs to happen. Every other organization in the big leagues would be telling Noah Davis, look, man, your sinker has used, but it's not really a great pitch. We need to we need to hide it a little bit. Your cut is probably just only for left-handers. We're gonna hide it. Your changeup is really good, though. We're probably gonna throw that like 40% of the time. Any other team is gonna tell a dude, your four seam is not great. It doesn't play basically just about anywhere, right? That you know, except at the very top of the zone. And for in in the case of the Rockies, only on the road. So, but your curveball is good, your slider is good, your changeup's good. Throw them like eighty percent of
0: the time. Yeah, I mean, this Hoffman, is the kind of thing that deal. the Dodgers do. Yes, where we see the Dodgers yes. take this guy who who did not succeed with another organization, say the Rockies, for example, and they are able to retool him and retool their pitch mix into something that can be effective. It's exactly what we saw with Yency Almonte,
2: and it's very simple. It's not even complicated, dude. It's like saying, saying, what does this guy do? Well, let's do more of that instead of saying, right, you need to throw fastballs at the knees because this is how we pitch over here. That is ex- and I say, that is exactly what led to the downfall of the Pirates in the late 20, uh, 2010s. They were ahead of everyone for a few years in the early 2010s. Then they could not adapt to the league, and they just kept you know, putting everyone into the same mold. Like that happened to Chris Archer, for example. As soon as he got there, they started having him throw two-seamers when he's a terrible fit for it. It's a similar thing. So, have they made those adjustments? Have they not? We'll, we're going to find out for their sake and for the sake of these guys. I hope they have, because Kaufman in particular has just a dandy of a changeup. If you see him throw it, a really good changeup. Davis has two. Lambert has another good changeup and a decent slider. Like, yeah, a lot of these times, you know. I also want to see more power on the breaking ball. By the way, I see a lot of loopy curveballs from these guys. That thing needs to be over eighty miles an hour. But that's a different topic. <laughs>
1: We'll yeah, if anything else no I mean this is there there's there's a low hit rate on on pitching prospects for a reason um league-wide not just in baseball so I mean there's there's some dramatic changes and I think that the Rockies have also shown that they're not necessarily the type of organization that is able to implement uh, you know philo- philosophical changes very well so um you hope that you know somebody like Kaufman is is able to uh come up and and produce and and be um part of the solution so i think small steps is at least what i'm looking for with with that
0: yeah and i i i'm i'm more on the outside i adore carl kaufman i was really happy with that draft pick i've been following him since he was at school in michigan and since we we picked him up and i he's a guy i want to see succeed and the rockies need to be smart with how they develop him and how they implement their pitching philosophy with him and not just try and force him into a cookie cutter mold like they do with their other pitchers but all we can do is wait and see unfortunately it's so so earlier early in the season but i mean we'll we'll finish off the uh the series with the Padres at time of recording this afternoon then we're headed off to Los Angeles so we'll see how that goes i think that's going to be about it for us this uh this episode of affected by altitude Kenneth, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you at on the socials? Yep, I'll be on Twitter at Kdub1988. And what are you working on on Purple Row right now?
1: I got the first uh, Pebble Report coming out on Monday. um, And then also right now kind of going to be digging on the pitching side a little bit, whether that's bullpen or Aramia specific is still to be determined. But (laughs) Monday on uh, Purple Row, um, have the rock pile up and have the Pebble Report. Uh, the season debut of the Pebble
0: report. Sounds great. Mario, how about you?
2: Uh you can find me on Twitter at the That is at I think. Well yeah, I'll just link it down below. Y'all know it. Uh but and I'm also walking on on purple road I have uh the pitching at altitude series is a six part series. Maybe ends up being a seven parter one you no know, one piece for every day of the week. is coming out technically I think on April tenth. So so look out for that. It's, no, really in-depth series about data and tackling every pitch type and really just making a pitch. And basically, you know, trying to tell the Rockies, this is how I think y'all should pitch. Please do this. So yeah, don't give me a heart attack. That's basically how that series goes.
0: Yeah, looking yeah. forward to that. And you can find me on Twitter at, at Evan underscore Lang 27. Also on Purple Row doing the Thursday Rock Piles. You can find us on Twitter at, at Altitude Effect and at, at Rocky Mountain Rooftop. That's R-O-C-K-Y-M-T-N r-o-o-f-t-o-p that's going to do it for us here today and uh, I don't know I guess I'll hit him with it um, farewell take care folks